I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio series, episode 36, The Price of Eloquence. The year is 1886, but not one that would be familiar to you. For while, as in our world, the Hotel Saint-Jacques is one of the most luxurious hostelries in Paris, this marvel of the Belle Epoque currently has an unlikely occupant in its diplomat suite, Lord Benjamin Brass, who sits at a desk that is his de facto command centre, where he speaks on the phone, answers letters, and otherwise advances his master plan. Oui. Oui. Non. D'accord. Merci. Ah, Abed, I do hope you've got good news for me about the Laskers. You know, it is not an easy task arranging a seditious act. I am sure that's true. Particularly on such a scale. I have now heard from Liverpool, Newcastle and London all have agreed. Wonderful news. I know it only buys us a few hours, but it's the right few hours. Benjamin, I hope it's worth it. These men stand a very good chance of losing their jobs, or worse if it should go awry. Entirely. But if we fail, they will lose much more. And they must know that. Short-term risk for long-term benefit. Entirely rational. It's easy enough to ask people to be rational when it's not your life or livelihood that's at risk through what you're asking. My friend, now is the time for each of us to offer what sacrifice we can. Your people, my people, all those who have been exiled or swept aside by our enemy. There is no time for half measures. We must fill out each beat of the music. Benjamin, when I joined you in this endeavor, it seemed your original plan was little more than a personal act of vengeance, one to which you are justified. It has now grown to the point of including an invasion, a revolution, and the seizing of an empire. The power of our enemy has grown, as has his threat. True, yet I would ask, have you considered the full potential costs? If you fail, you may escape with your life, but there will be reprisals against many others. As someone who has waged war, I am ready to do so again. 
But I would ask, have you considered the practical cost behind your Olympian rhetoric? Might I tell you a story? If it answers my question. I have told you that the family and I traveled through Africa this last year. You'd mentioned it? Ten years ago, I was a delegate at a conference in Brussels formed to combat the evils of the African slave trade. The idea was to create an alliance called the International Africa Association. The conference was grand and lavish. A steamer picked us up from Dover and state carriages took us onto the palace where there was an extraordinary banquet and so much wine that at one point I was juggling eight glasses. Our host, a most eloquent man, spoke of bringing the blessings of civilization to the savage jungles, of piercing the darkness, enveloping entire populations. He cast us as warriors in a truly noble crusade, and we rose to the challenge. In the days that followed, we created a plan to establish stations spanning the continent, each housing a crew of scientists and skilled artisans. These were neither missionaries nor military. The natives would be given medical aid and education and would, in time, voluntarily embrace the evident superiority of our culture and its technology. Mm. At the end of the conference, we presented our plan. And it was rejected. On the contrary. The association said we had provided a blueprint for the future of Africa, which made us all feel jolly good. And the final night of the conference was even more filled with hope and fine wines than the first. So... What became of the plans of the International Africa Association? Six years ago, it changed its title to the International Association of the Congo oh. and has claimed a vast expanse of the heart of Africa. Last year, we visited the Congo, now under the exclusive ownership of King Leopold of Belgium. I have heard disturbing things about Leopold's Congo. The reports are understated. It is a vast rubber plantation, not a country, mm. not a nation, but a commercial trust. The focus of its new owner is solely commercial gain, and the value of a human being is only what they harvest in a day. Even now he seeks more guns, and mercenaries as guards, and scouts for more rubber. Imagine what the future of such a place could be. Horrific. But here's something, Arbit. The speaker on that first evening who set us alight with hope for spreading our wisdom, our trade, our machinery to the benighted jungles, that was King Leopold himself. The man who is in the process of turning a country into a slave camp. That is the value of eloquence alone. So yes, one must do better than talk a good game. One must put all you have on the table, including your own life, if the cause is great enough. Meanwhile, Cyril Brass and Father Renard have arrived at the rectory of the Archbishop of Canterbury, located at a discreet distance from the magnificent cathedral in the heart of the town. Through their persistence, they have managed to ascend so far as the Archbishop's curate and requested an audience. It is most irregular. I am the keeper of the Archbishop's calendar, and it is most irregular. We do understand. But this is an urgent matter. Well, wait here. I will see if I can find him. You say you know this Archbishop? Only slightly. He spoke at our funeral, but since I was supposed to be dead, we didn't have much of a conversation. 
I think he came to my school once and addressed us at service. Talked a lot about the building of Trero Cathedral. In Wales? Yeah, that's the one. Kept repeating, it will have three spires, throughout his talk. A bit of an obsession, you ask me. Uh, well, you know, he was instrumental in having it built. Was he? He was the Archbishop of Turo at one time. Oh. I just thought he was strangely keen on spires. <laughs> you are a very funny man, Cyril Brass. What? Really? You think so? I do, yes. You are very charming indeed. I am very fortunate to have made your acquaintance. And I yours. Ah, uh, as to what happened back in the crate... Yes, Cyril? Well, is it something we should talk about? If you would like. As to what happened in the crate? Yes? Between you and me. That's everyone who was there. Yes. I'm not saying I didn't like it, but I'll confess that it wasn't what I expected. I'm sorry, Cyril, but if you wish to make a confession, you have to be of the Catholic faith. I will admit it wasn't what I had expected then. Oh, and what did you expect? Something else. Something hard and rough and hairy, if you don't mind me saying. I am proud of my beard. It is a lovely beard, and it's very soft. Merci. And that's not what I expected. Something soft and rich and gentle. I don't know when I've had those feelings before all mixed together like that. Cyril. I'm sorry, or stop. Uh, good, because here comes the Archbishop. Oh, yes, gentlemen. Greetings, Your Grace. Yes, greetings. My name is Eustace Treadwell. And I am Father Paul Renard, a special envoy from His Eminence, Pope Leo XIII. And how can I help you? First, I must ask you, priest to priest, you're not on record as supporting the policies of the current administration. Is this the truth? No man with an ounce of moral seriousness could be. Most reverend sir, as the man primus inter pares of the Church of England, we have a message to give you from His Holiness. And what is it, young man? Proverbs 10, 11, and 12. Ah, I see. I don't. Young man, you're not clergy, are you? No, sir, I'm not. And the Bible's not my strong suit. Hmm. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall he not render to every man according to his works? Which means? If you falter in troubling times, how small is your strength? Save those who are being led away to death and who stagger towards slaughter. If you claim to know nothing, will not he who weighs the heart, who guards your life, know this? Will he not repay each according to what he has done? Ah, you, young man, are indeed a priest. I am, Your Grace. Is there more to your message? 
the Pope appeals to you in this time to support your Catholic brothers and sisters, English, Irish, and others who are being persecuted by the government of England, and to declaim the government of this land for its immoral laws and its corrupt practices. Very well. We will convene an ecumenical council. There isn't time, Most Reverend Sir. And why not? In three days, Archbishop, in the name of Her Majesty, Queen Victoria, we are acting to restore our country to its proper form of a constitutional monarchy. I see. And by what right do you represent Her Majesty? We've got Her Majesty. And Prince Albert, too. I heard that they were being held in Balmoral. They were. My mother sprung her and the royal consort in a palace break. Your mother? Uh, Lady Brass, I'm Sewer Brass. Honestly, I'm rubbish with false identities and all that sort of thing. I, I spoke at your funeral. You did. It was lovely. We had to leave before the end, though. We both survived. We all did. All the brasses are alive? Yes, indeed. Though we need you to keep it under your mitre. Archbishop, we need all men and women of good faith and good heart on our side. And that includes you. In what way on your side? When there is fighting in the streets. Fighting? Yes, possibly. We'll do what we can to keep the bloodshed minimal, though some people demand a solid punch in the nose. Archbishop, I do not want violence either, but this country has become a prison. And it may be that we must use force to free the prisoners. We cannot allow a criminal cabal to loot your coffers and mock your laws. But you're French. I am, but I love your country. And I'm a brass. Mm, you are. All right. Your Holiness. Pen and paper, Edwards. And prepare for travel to London tomorrow morning. Uh, three tickets. Thank you. Very well. I will send a wire to Lambeth to expect us. No, 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 no. They mustn't know that we're coming. Sir? <laughs> we won't be stopping by Lambeth. We are going incognito. Back in London, the Crime Minister is receiving his afternoon briefing from his chief agent, O'Leary. Report. We've got a lead on the Royals. Yes? We believe they're still in Scotland and not far from Balmoral. We're sending a force there now. Excellent. And please remind them the first order of business is to kill whoever's got them. If a Royal or two gets caught in the crossfire, that'd be unfortunate, but acceptable. No leads on Mr. Tesla yet, unfortunately. Keep the alert out on the ferries and airships. If that man leaves England, we've lost a very powerful weapon to our enemies. Yes, sir. Now, as to the devices I commissioned... Both units are complete and operational, sir. Good. Install them, one each, on two royal airships, and have them set the course detailed in the documents I supplied tomorrow evening at 10 p.m. Instructions need to be followed meticulously. Yes, sir. Might I ask, sir, after the purposes of this? You may. Then what is the purpose? Do you understand geometry? I believe so. Then perhaps you can understand a process known as triangulation. These two airships will carry Tesla machines tuned into the specific frequency of Lord Brass's transmission. 
By measuring the strength of the signal from these two additional vectors, I shall be able to determine, within a distance of 10 to 20 miles, where Lord Brass is sending his wireless messages from. That's quite remarkable. Thank you. I'll admit to some pride in it myself. Now have it done. I... All right, sir. Under whose authority shall I have this completed? Trent, of course. Ah, perhaps directly to the Ministry of Science instead, under this von Hoffmann fellow. Why? Trent's been a bit unruly as of late. In a fashion that demands additional recompense? Or do we need to cover up something more dramatic? It's not regarding any of his more regular voices. Speak plainly, O'Leary. You know he was a right bastard before you brought him on. I did. He's just getting worse. He's starting to act not like a prime minister, but a king. Or worse, like a theatre star. Now, after he gives one of your speeches, he struts and preens about while his supporters all cheer and applaud it. It's all starting to feel dangerous, like they're ready for blood. Oh, no doubt they're right. There shall be blood. Sir? It can't be helped. You can't shake a society up this much without violent consequences. Then why do it, sir? Because, O'Leary, man learns his lessons faster from a stick than a carrot. We should welcome such discord as the herald of an evolutionary step upwards towards a greater destiny. Well, be that as it may, Trent's been giving me lip of late. And so, maybe it's time we tried the stick. In yesterday afternoon's briefing, he challenged me on sending the troops to Scotland. When I told him it was under your direct order, he told me he doesn't take orders. Indeed. Oh, and of course I got his signature and the requisition over to the army. But still, I'm not sure what I can tell him that'll make him any different. He's too dumb to even threaten properly. Well, then, it's time to arrange a heart-to-heart with our Lord Trent. The equipment has been installed? It has, sir. Good. Tomorrow we'll have the opportunity to give it a trial run. For your right, he's taken every carrot we've offered. They have a notion for how to deliver a blow that will get through even his thick skull. That evening back in London, Gwendolyn and the veteran crook Mr. Crawford arrive at a warehouse down near the docks. Awaiting them is a large horse and cart, and a rather sinister-looking fellow in a tattered derby. Hang back a moment. Let me talk to this fella. Russia, Bob. Good evening, sir. This is the last of the shipment. And the rest? Loaded it up already. Here's the invoice. All right, Bob. Let's take a look. Yes. Yes. How about this one? They are, sir. Ah, indeed. Well, that's very good. Your second payment's in this envelope, Russia, Bob. Share it out with lads, and remember, to not stiff a one of them, because you know how I hear about it. Thank you, sir. Wanna count it? I'll trust you, sir. Good lad. All right, the night train leaves in an hour, so if you step on it, you'll make it with time to spare. Right to it, sir. Get up! I feel compelled to ask, why is he Russia Bob? He's been to Russia. Simple enough. Well then, what's our plan? Our plan. To steal the items from the warehouse. Perhaps Jimmy a skylight? I'm good with heights, and I brought along a line and grapnel hook. Oh, 
not planned. I also brought a makeup kit and three different wigs if it's a matter of infiltration. Miss Brass, I'm aware of your no doubt justified reputation as an agent of the law. Oh, I suppose I've solved a few crimes during slow periods of my acting career. Very well. Now, what's your typical experience regarding criminal cases? Let's see. If it's a jewel thief, a rooftop chase, I suppose. If it's a murder, there's all that questioning of witnesses and examining of evidence. Then for a full-on criminal conspiracy, there's the infiltration of the villain's lair and subsequent escape. I see. And, of course, involving as many disguises as possible. Disguises are something of a signature of mine. Well, that all sounds quite exciting. But the crime that I specialise in is another sort. The sort you rarely get involved in. Oh? That's right. It's successful crime. And it doesn't tend to involve any of that. You only get the sort that you're used to, with brass knuckles and gunshots, when I've done it wrong. That's where me and the Crime Minister disagreed. I never cottoned to violence unless it was to an effective end. With him, he saw violence as almost necessary. With me, well, I prefer to keep it simple and successful, like our caper tonight. But how can you know if it will be successful? Because it's already done. I completed it when I signed the invoice. What? In regular circumstances, I would be there when they loaded it on the train, but I trust these fellows. So you're saying that you already arranged for the materials to be stolen? As I've said, I know what's where, and I know when it's moved. And I know some of the key links in the supply chain and the price of each of them. So all afternoon, we've been making adjustments to the inventory, and now we've got our shipment ready. The lead sulfide was hard to find, I'll admit, but we found a store in a chemist's lab. So it's already done? I'm afraid so. Well, I must say, that's something of a letdown for me. Oh? While I'm fervent in the cause of law and creating a better world, the main reason I'm part of a war on crime, Mr Crawford, is that, for the most part, it's jolly good fun. Sorry to disappoint. For me, crime's a business. Excessive violence is just evidence that your business plan has failed. I suppose it's why you're good at this. I was. Up to the point I got stabbed by a subordinate and tossed into the channel. I've had the occasional imbroglio myself. Mr Crawford, I feel I must ask, if we all survive this, do you believe you'll go back to your criminal life? I haven't given it much thought. It's all I've done with my life so far, and it depends on alternatives offered. You understand, Miss Brass, I'm not working with you because I expect a royal pardon out of this. Oh, one of those would be nice, come to think of it. What I want is to be in on the kill. That man kept me like a frightened little pet. And when I didn't do what he wanted, he was going to have me put down. I don't take to being treated like that. And I want to make him pay. After that, you can deliver me to the old Bailey and I'll go as meek as a lamb. I suppose we should head back to Spitalfields. Uh, not so fast. There's another task or two that I've in mind. What do you mean? Miss Brass, I've been thinking. What would you say if I said I might have the means of taking down that Lord Trent idiot that also avoided excessive violence? I would say I'd like to hear it. I'll need two things from you. I'll need an introduction to an honest policeman. That should be easy enough. Mm, not in my line of work. And second? I need you to break into the abandoned lair of the Red Widow and retrieve some files for me. The lair of the Red Widow? 
You mean the one with all the death traps? That's the one. Really? Wonderful. I'd love another look at that razor pendulum. Oh, thank you, Mr. Crawford. We're happy to oblige. I have a weakness for seeing a beautiful woman smile. And I have a weakness for circumventing death traps. Lead the way. Ecunemical announcements to the papers? Mathematical triangulation of transmissions? Visits to abandoned criminal lairs with still-functioning death traps? The plotting is getting very deep indeed, and it's hard to say whether our heroes or their adversary have the upper hand. I suppose it's best not to worry too much before we next visit with the increasingly complicated adventures of the first family of the realm, Brass. Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions and features Kate Cray as Lady Brass, Charles Leggett as Lord Brass, Catherine Grant Sutty as Gwendolyn Brass, and Jeremy Adams as Cyril Brass, with Larry Albert, Dennis Bateman, Margie Bickman, Lisa Carswell, Amy Decker, Nancy Fry, Ronnie Hill, Philip Keeman, John Longenbaugh, Matt Middleton, Terry Edward Moore, Tad Morgan, Pam Nolte, and Nikki Vissel. Brass was recorded at Jack Straw Studios, engineered by Joel Maddox, with sound design by Kirsty Gilmore, and music composed by Bruce Monroe. It was written and directed by John Longenbaugh. For more information on Brass, go to battlegroundproductions.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, and to support us, fund us on Patreon, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>